Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. I want to look at this whole transgender crisis, what's happening in the culture, not specifically addressing those, but looking at this from theology and understanding that God has a purpose for our bodies. And we can actually come to a greater and much deeper understanding of ourselves if we look to the body and what Pope St. John Paul II coined is a theology of the body. We've been in this series for a handful of weeks now, and we're coming up toward the end. And today the focus is Finding that purpose and inspiration, whether you're married or not, young or old, dating, single, it doesn't matter. Seeing that there's something fundamentally written into our bodies. And it's what Pope St. John Paul II and other theologians have referred to as the, quote, spousal meaning of the body. We've dove deep into what it means to have a spousal meaning to our bodies. Now, this is for anyone, male or female, married or not. What we're looking at is that there's a function, there's a theology to our bodies that reveals a greater sense of function and inspiration and meaning and purpose and how we're meant to live our lives. You see, in the sacrament of matrimony, we see an example of the redemption of the body that, think about it, marriage is difficult, marriage is messy. If you've seen any marriages, you probably see how difficult they can be, but also how joy-filled and blessed they can be as well. We strive for the latter. Now, part of that is understanding the redemption that occurs in marriage of the spouses through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the grace of the sacrament of matrimony. This is why the last handful of weeks we've been journeying through St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, one of the key areas where we read about marriage in the New Testament. And there's this great analogy given of Christian spouses to imitate Jesus Christ in his sacrificial love, in the church, in her obedience and submission, in union with Christ. Salvation history depicts God as this faithful husband and his steadfast love, and how Israel's identity can sometimes be, as the chosen people's identity, sometimes is this unfaithful spouse that forgets about God, fails to worship him, but that God continuously in his steadfast love draws them back into himself. And so we've been Looking at all of this in Theology of the Body series the last handful of weeks, looking at salvation history, the sacraments, it's funny because I've been written to a couple times as I've been working through this series by people who are struggling. They're very single. They want to be married, and it's frustrating, and they're getting sick of hearing content about marriage, which is sad because Theology of the Body points to the analogy of Christ in the church, the analogy of marriage, the redemption of the body, the example of how the body has this signpost, this compass for what we are meant to do with our lives. The profound realization when we ponder this of marriage points to the spousal meaning of the body, that my life is made for total, life-giving, self-giving love. Pope St. John Paul II said, Man who is from the beginning male and female must seek the meaning of his existence and the meaning of his humanity by reaching all the way to the mystery of creation through the reality of redemption. So Pope St. John Paul II is saying, look to the beginning 
of the creation of the human person. What do we read in Genesis chapter 1? This is what we've been unraveling for 16 weeks now here on Trending. We see the spousal meaning of the body. The male and female body are like a key in a lock that reveals on a material level the spiritual reality. Adam says, ah, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He sees that he can physically give himself to even receive her, but he also sees there's someone he can communicate with, someone he can share life with. Now, Pope St. John Paul II says, look, does not say this. He doesn't say, look to the beginning of the world, the creation of the human person, and see what it means to be a person only as married. No, he as a, a single celibate priest without children is giving us an example of the meaning of life that he understands as well, even in his state in life. From the dawn of creation, we see what's referred to in all of theology as matrimony, as that primordial sacrament. Why is it known as a primordial sacrament? Because it gives us in that one flesh union, the example of being fruitful and multiplying, the example of cooperation, the example of submission, the example of sacrifice. All of these lead to virtue, and all of these are only lived out and performed through the grace of Jesus Christ. This is where Pope St. John Paul II says we find the essential answer to the question about the meaning of the human body and the meaning of the masculinity and femininity of the human person. In other words, sacrificial love is understood in the example of spousal love. Not all of us will live that out. Some people will have a spouse who dies early. Some people will never marry. Some people will marry but never have children. Some people will become celibate, virginal priests or nuns. Pope St. John Paul II says the union of Christ and the church allows us to understand in what way the spousal meaning of the body is completed by the redemptive meaning on the different roads of life and in different situations. So in other words, the spousal meaning is lived out in all sorts of different lifestyles. Married, celibate, all of these examples, male and female. However, we see the redemptive dimension in the grace of Jesus Christ being infused in us through the grace of the sacraments to live that life out. This is why we're called to live a Eucharistic life, a life that is in union with God through the sacraments, with reconciliation. We're meant to form our purpose and our mission in life. As Pope St. John Paul II says, according to the model of the spousal love of Christ in the church. This is why St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, when he gives these sound guiding principles for what it looks like to be a wife in marriage and what it means to look like, what it looks like to be a husband in marriage, ultimately he says, well, this is an example of Christ in the church, Christ's sacrificial love, the church's obedience and submission. With that, we see this great mystery as Pope, or not Pope, but uh, St. Paul says that mysteries of Christ in the church, the mystery is of Jesus Christ's sacrificial love and the mystery of the grace available within marriage, within the single life, within the priesthood, within religious life to live out the spousal meaning of the, God, of the body, which is that we are called and we are made for total life-giving, self-giving love. And that my life is meant to be given out of gratitude for all that God has given me. That is what the spousal meaning of the body means. This is why we long so deeply for marriage, but some of us won't have it. That's why we long so deeply for children, but some of us won't have them. We have to see that God is working in his grace and mercy in whatever state in life we're in. But are we being fecundant? Are we being fruitful? Are we being generous? Are we allowing our lives to be transformed 
by that sacrificial love, that marital example of Christ in the church? Or are we becoming embittered by what we don't have, by what is lacking, rather than a place of gratitude that God so deeply calls us to, and that is ultimately the theology of the human body? I was just looking at some statistics that the average teenage male actually thinks about sex the average of every eight to nine seconds and not that that's as much for adult males but it's pretty frequent and Devin you and I were discussing this earlier today's topic is why is physical intimacy a core need for a man we are going to get deep into the psyche the theology of men and why this shouldn't be looked at as nuisance as something bad, although it can be for the bad, looking at this from the perspective of, I think, especially within marriage, having an appreciation as a wife for the desires and gifts of a husband and for a husband to temper his desires is so key. Now, we know as Catholics, hopefully we know this, that sexuality is at the core of what marriage is. Every marital act or every marriage has the end of having children and educating them, which means you need to fruitfully make love to have babies. And with that comes this sexual ethic for Catholics that every sexual act is entered into both unitively and procreatively. That's for the good of the spouses and that procreatively so that we're open to every baby that might come when we enter into the marital embrace. Now, that doesn't mean every a baby will come every time. Hopefully you know that. Not everyone does. It's always funny getting to talk to teenagers and what they think. Uh, but What is key is that in good times and in bad, in expected and wanted times, but also in less than ideal moments, we're open to new life. But I think it's interesting, Devin, because I find that prior to marriage, a lot of people are usually pretty excited about sexual intimacy. And we have all these hopes and desires for one another. Men and women love each other, the differences, the titillating parts of the exciting elements leading up to marriage. And then suddenly you get married and it's almost as if all those differences are nuisances and dislikes and grievances you have with one another. And Sexual intimacy is really at the core of this misunderstanding when it comes to male-female differences. You and I spoke earlier, and you shared that sexual intimacy actually defines a man and gives him value and purpose. Can you explain how this is a case and why sexual intimacy is a core need for a man? Yeah, we can we can begin. I think it'd be good to begin with the natural and maybe move to the supernatural or the physical and move to the spiritual. But I, I, I think that women, they are oriented toward giving life. That's what they are designed for. And a man is similar to a woman in that he's oriented toward giving life, but that life does not grow within him. So a woman, naturally, she knows how to give because that's how she is, to give another literally to the world and to give herself for another. That's what a woman does. But a man, he's kind of disconnected from all of this. That's not how he thinks, okay? So he has to learn this. He has to learn self-gift and self-gift is learned in the context of relationship and relationship, the most difficult relationship really, but the most rewarding relationship for a man is marriage. And particularly in marriage, one of the most difficult aspects to navigate, but also the most, one of the most rewarding is sexual intimacy. And so I think that when you look at a man, he plants a part of himself, literally, outside of himself and yet he's still disconnected from the rest of the process so he gives of himself from himself 
and outside of himself, inside of her for life. And that's where we get this idea. Like you remember in the creation account, uh, Adam was cast into a deep sleep. And the Hebrew is tardama. That's the word for the deep sleep, which is a supernatural slumber, ecstasis in the Greek, ecstasy. And so what does God do? God takes the rib of Adam and forms the woman, uh, takes it out of Adam and forms the woman from it. Adam is literally outside of himself. That's what ecstasy means, to be outside of himself. And so here it is, a woman is formed from him. Literally from that moment on, Adam in a sense finds himself in Eve. A man finds himself a woman. And a woman is a reminder to the man always of what he's called to do. He's called to give himself to her and for her. But this is the problem. When that becomes disordered, the man resents that deeply, subconsciously. He resents the fact that he has to sacrifice her woman. And so what does he do? He wants to use her. And so we'll see that one of the ultimate purposes of sexual union for the man, the way that God has designed this, is to teach a man to learn to move beyond himself, okay? To move beyond himself into the other. I don't know if I'm going too fast, but I just feel like that's a huge point. And that's the point I think that God wants to get across to us is that God has created this need in a man to give himself away. Yes, he derives pleasure from it, but he's got to figure out how to temper Mm -hmm. that so that he can actually bring the woman not only physical pleasure, but emotional, intimate pleasure. I think this is fantastic. You're tying the theology along with just the real material desire a man has and how in woman, in a woman, even just the primordial example of Adam, Adam finds himself in Eve. That physicality of the reality is, is that Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and that physical reality of being like a key in a lock, the two bodies coming together actually pointed to a spiritual reality that means so much more in helping to define a man. But yet again, there's this disconnect in understanding a man's sexual drive is much stronger than a woman's. And how does that look in marriage as a part of a core need for building up the husband? Yeah. Yeah. So let's just try to understand the sexual drive of a man and ladies who are listening. um, This is, we're going to allow you into the craziness, the insaneness of the masculine mind, because like at puberty, a young man, he, he gradually realizes that what differentiates him from a woman is his sexual drive. Okay. So he's, this is, this at a very human level, sexuality is so important to a man. Because And this is why guys think about things like size, strength, endurance, the ability to perform, to give pleasure. All this is instinctively important to a man because when he goes through puberty, he believes that that part of him that differentiates him from a woman is so it, – it's so connected to manhood. His, his manhood is rooted in his sexuality. And so when he's coming to himself in all of this and recognize himself – there's two things that are going on. He recognizes that this is what differentiates him from a woman. So in his mind, this is what makes me a man. But this is also how he will relate to the woman. And this is where it can go off the rails or stay on the rails. So how he, this is how he believes himself to be a man in his sexual drive, his ability to perform, all of these things. However, what God is trying to do is teach him how to give. But what can happen is in our culture, we see this all the time because we're not formed in virtue is that 
he understands is a way to gain. Because mm-hmm. as we know, almost 100% of the time, when a guy enters into sexual intercourse, he has pleasure. But this isn't exactly the case for a woman. So this is where we've got to kind of enter into mm-hmm. this tension of the sexual drive of man. So he, he has this, it's deeply connected between his brain and his loins, seriously, reverently. He grows up with this and discovers, okay, this is, this is a driving force in my life. Like you said, the average teenage male thinks about, you know, sex every eight to nine seconds. And, you know, there's hope for us as we get older. I think it's like 12 (laughs) or 13 seconds, you know, later on in life. But, but yeah, I mean, it's a constant battle and, and ladies, to understand your husbands who are trying to be virtuous, your husbands who are not using pornography, your husbands who are actually trying to uphold your dignity. This is a tenacious battle. Because if you think about this, if this is really real, which it is, a man thinks about sex, let's just let's just give it a break. Let's just say it's maybe 12 seconds or 15 seconds. <laughs> and he's <laughs> trying so to credit. be virtuous. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, he is under siege. The demons are battling him at every turn. He has to deal with this every minute mm. of the day. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think women have a, a, so where we're disconnected from the idea of the naturalness of giving as a woman does with children, men or women can be disconnected from this battle that we have to be virtuous in this area, to defeat lust in the heart, to love women properly because we're just naturally hardwired by God this way because we're made to procreate. That's the natural side of it. So, so then what? So we need to move from that natural side of that sexual drive. Now, what is God going to do through the man as he moves through these phases toward, you know, ultimate masculinity? And I don't want to move too fast, but I think that that's, that's the baseline, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, something that my producer said, and I hope he doesn't mind that I just threw this in, but he said, this is why work is so good for a man. Being busy with work keeps a man's thoughts more properly ordered. <laughs> exactly. And I love that Jim just said this because we live at a time where a lot of men are very idle, both in the type mm-hmm. of sedentary jobs that they engage in. And I know that's a real struggle for a lot of men, uh, but also idleness in general. I mean, idleness is the devil's playground. And so that that mm-hmm. virtue of work is so key in understanding your desire and how your body works. And it, it all ties into one another. And I think it's fascinating, too, when you look at the phases of men and how they develop. You and I were discussing this earlier about how through the phases of a man's manhood, he comes to a deeper understanding of his sexuality and how it's deeply connected to his identity. Yeah, so exactly. So if we're talking about that teenage young man or the young man who's just kind of coming, gradually coming into the discovery of his masculinity on a very natural level, then we can, you know, we we did talk about how there's got to be a preparatory stage for the virtuous guys that isn't, and this is the key, um, when we're preparing for marriage, men need to learn not only to abstain, because that's that's the negative, right? But they need to learn how to give properly. And so before marriage, this does not mean sexual intimacy in the sexual act. So what this means is, is that a young man has to learn how to give himself properly to this woman he's in love with for and, and train himself to do it not for gain, not to get something back, but out of love, I, I think to, out of, for the other's sake, 
is key because when we get into man 2.0, that's the married man. And I think this is why marriage is so beautiful and so powerful and so important. Um, well, not only that God created it, I mean, but it's mm-hmm. so powerful because literally in the, in the Hebrew in Genesis count, God says, uh, it is not good that man is alone. And that Hebrew word for alone is abadad, which literally means bad. It's the only time God says that something is bad in the, in the creation count. And what is it when man's alone? So God wants man to learn how to live in relationship. And so when he enters into marriage, he is going to learn how to take all that masculine sexual drive. And God is going to call him to learn how to master it or to use it properly in two ways so that he can learn how to give and sacrifice. And we're the two ways in engaging in it and abstinence. And this is really important because John Paul II said in his theology of the body, he says more, more difficult it is for the married man than it is the celibate because the married man engages his sexual faculty, but then has to abstain for periods of time. Whereas a celibate man, he just abstains. And mm-hmm. so there is this delicacy of the of the battle for virtue when I engage in something like sexual activity to do it properly. And so mm-hmm. when the man engages, the married man, he has to learn how to love tenderly, mm-hmm. respectfully, reverently, even disinterestedly, like for her, not for himself in a way, to provide her intimacy, yes, pleasure physically, hopefully, but but mostly intimately. And this takes a lot of effort because he has to get beyond, we men, like you're talking about work. The reason why we love work if we're virtuous is because we're able to finish and complete, sow the seed, watch it grow, we get it done, and we love that. Well, in the sexual act, men have a finality to that. That's with the climax, and that's what happens. You know, And so that's a very sensitive topic. But the point is that men can move too quickly too fast to that end okay and and just want to finish it whereas they have to engage in the act in such a way where they're loving their bride tenderly and reverently and 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 bringing her to that level of emotional intimacy that she desires but on the other hand he has to abstinence he has to learn to offer his body as a living sacrifice by overcoming lust or even mm. if he isn't lustful overcoming the desire to be with his wife by respecting her when she is unwilling to love her for her own sake say she's stressed out or say her body is fatigued or she's got a health problem or maybe she just can't have another kid right now because she's wigged out you know and stressed out beyond there's so many things right that can go on that are very natural yeah i think a lot of men and women have a hard time reconciling those seasons in life yeah exactly and but what does that do what does that occasion do for both the wife and the man, but especially the man? It gives them a context for communication and conversation, which can lead to communion, because that's where he expresses his authentic need for her, not for sex. And this is very important. We talked about this before. Sex isn't a thing that she gives me. It is her that I want. And so it gives, when when there's these struggles and these tensions, whether it's her health or whether it's him being stressed out with work and he's distant, the two can talk about this and realize that, hey, we, we can work through this. We can come to the center on this. We can figure out how to give to one another. And that's when the 
the marriage really blossoms. And I, I really think that this is important in the Hebrew literature, uh, especially in the Genesis account. You know, we hear that Adam was placed in a garden. He was commanded to, to guard and protect that garden. In Hebrew literature, woman is often referred to as a garden. Mm-hmm. And so a man plants a seed. Yes, he cultivates that seed. He nurtures her, but he wants to see her flourish and bear life. But here's the situation for the man. You look at the the old Adam, he was in the Garden of Eden, which means paradise, pleasure park. <laughs> okay, And then Jesus, the new Adam, was in Gethsemane, which means oil press. And so Jesus literally, because he loved his bride so much, the oil of charity was being squeezed out of him through his self-giving. And he, and he set that pace of self-giving love all the way to Calvary. Whereas Adam, he had the pleasure side of it. And yeah, we know what happened with Adam. He, he failed. But my point here is that in marriage for the man, it's going to be agony and it's going to be ecstasy. It's going to be pain and it's going to be pleasure. It's a both and. And the real man, he, he gradually sexual intimacy and the absence from it with his wife, that's the agony and ecstasy, affords him an incredible opportunity to become the man of God that God is creating him to be. And this is the key. God is cultivating in him, uh, the, he's teaching him how to learn how to give, how to learn how to give engaging in the act without being selfish and like the he- heathens, you know, for his own self-satisfaction solely. But also when he abstains, he learns to sacrifice for his wife. And in this, this is so beautiful. This is where he learns to give. And this sacrificial responsibility is the essence of a man when a man learns to give like that, he is ready to he is ready to be a real man. He is ready to go to the next level. And as you're speaking of this, Devin, you are giving me so much information into the male psyche. And I think a lot of men as well who are having a better understanding of the reality of the sexual urge, but the gift that it is. And it's making me think of the paradox of the cross. The cross is both Christ's triumphant moment and also his cross, right? Like his suffering. And in a certain respect, as you're pointing to the definition of man as sex, sexuality in his urge being a part of that as God-given, you're pointing to how this is what leads him to a life of self-giving love. It leads him, as you said, to a time to indulge and enjoy out of love, but also a season to abstain out of love and self-respect as well. And if the two go hand in hand, it can be understood ideally and work toward in all phases of life. You're listening to Trending with Tamara here on Relevant Radio. You've been walking us through, I think, really profound psychology and theology with regard to why that desire is there, why it needs to be met, fulfilled, and even appreciated on the part of women and not looked at as a nuisance or a nag or to even look at men as less than or shame them for this being at the core of who they are. You're walking through the three phases of man from that awakening as a teenager where he starts to understand himself as a sexual being and how that (laughs) takes him to so much of what he thinks about and desires to then being that man who starts to learn to uh, have a sense of dominance and domain over why sexual intimacy is at its core. Can you continue to walk us through these three phases of a man yeah so as the man the married man he's learned to engage and refrain and he's he god is giving him the grace we have to remember that god is the one who's giving the grace up to us we can't do this this is a tall call but 
God does give the grace and God's going to give more grace than we actually can even comprehend in this area. And when that happens, that sexual intimacy between spouses is off the charts. It's absolutely amazing. And I think many of us can attest to that. But after that, what happens to a man is kind of unfortunate. <laughs> he, he kind of falls into sexual decline. And at first, it feels like on a human level that his manhood is dying, you know, on a very natural level. He's losing muscle tone. He's losing his hair, perhaps. He's losing sexual desire. Uh, his ability to perform or perform well is really diminishing. And there's a grave temptation, I think, for men to really try to hold on. They're too attached and they try to deny that process. And I think I was telling you earlier, my wife told me a story about a man who was in his his seventies and he just was using Viagra left and right. And his wife ended up having to go through therapy because she just was in pain emotionally and physically because her man, her husband just was unwilling to accept this stage of his life. And so what are we supposed to do here? I think that because of all the times of learning how to engage properly and love disinterestedly in the sexual act, but also to disengage and refrain and still love the wife, especially love the wife in those times where they can't come together. He, in a sense, learns how to be uh, in a way like St. Joseph, a celibate, you know, a married celibate in a way. And in this elderly stage, a man has not maybe he is becoming a little bit of an expert in self-giving. He's kind of mastering that about himself. And so then he becomes almost like a monk-like, a married monk-like missionary of charity. Okay. So because he's not bound by what he's going to get out of anything and he's looking to give. And this is where I, I really lament how we treat the elderly in our culture because the elderly have so much wisdom to give. I, I, in our Fathers of St. Joseph groups, I'm astounded by the wisdom and the experience that comes out of these elderly men's mouths who are cramming for the final exam, yes, but they are giving themselves to these other young men with this wisdom. It's so powerful. And I think that all of us men, we need to kind of look to this final stage, if you will, which I call spiritual fatherhood. And that's the ultimate stage is when I recognize that my goal on earth is to haul souls to heaven, is to give of myself in such a way that I manifest God's glory, that I inspire people to want to embrace the cross. I inspire people to look for the hope of heaven, to know that there is something more than what this world has to offer. And I think that when you look around, we're writing off the elderly man or the elderly woman left and right. But when you find a virtuous elderly man, you have found a sage. And, and that's kind of like, for me, that's the culmination of this journey um, for, the, for the, the masculine journey of development and achievement. And I love where you put all of this in, because the reality is, is when you talk about these different phases, some of some people come to them at different points in their life. Like you may not be married when you gain a deeper understanding for your sexuality, the gift of it, how it's meant to be used for good and how it is at the core of your identity as a man. Or maybe you're in a different phase when you come to understand uh, that sage wisdom of the gift of self. And I think that that's what's so incredible about diving into why is this such a core need 
for a man? Why is it at the core of who men are and such a deep desire instead of being looked at as slimy scoundrels or just men who look at <laughs> pornography, there's actually more yeah. going on. And I think that it, it actually helps to pull back the covers to point to why pornography is such a deep temptation for men, mm. because in a certain respect, it helps to validate them but in all the wrong ways and that you're they're searching for so much more and that is that sacrificial love that you've indicated mm -hmm. yeah a, a husband owes his wife to love her as christ loves a church he christ sacrifices body and christ gives his body to his bride so christ sacrificed body calvary christ gives his body to his bride at the mass communion so a husband sacrifices his body by abstaining from sexual intercourse when his wife is unwilling or can't, and he refuses to guilt or shame her, that's Calvary, sacrifice. But a husband sacrifices his body by engaging in sexual intercourse reverently, tenderly upholding his wife's dignity, that's communion, in that he images Christ. Now on the wife's part, she owes her husband, through the giving of herself and sexual union, the opportunity for him to learn how to love her disinterestedly, that is, without lust. And she also owes her husband the opportunities to grow in sexual virtue by means of abstaining from sexual intercourse. So when Christ commands the couples to become one flesh, but Christ also commands a man not to lust after any other woman, it's both and, you know? So it's it's just this beautiful both and virtue. And I love sex. <laughs> I love sex for this reason. I love marriage for this reason. I think it's so redemptive. And, and at the end of the day, we talk about how there's, three you know three purposes or two purposes we talk about procreation and unification but i would add a third and i would say it's sanctification because i just know from my own personal experience my wife my relationship with her and god in all of that in the sexual relationship man i've experienced so much sanctification praise be to god i love him I keep thinking of Pope St. John Paul II's words in Theology of the Body when he says, God assigns the dignity of every woman as a task to every man. At the same time, he assigns also the dignity of every man to every woman. And we'll dive a little bit more into those words tomorrow. But I think it's significant in understanding the dignity of every woman is tasked to every man and the dignity of every man is tasked to every woman. That means appreciating and valuing these differences, even those differences that we really just have a hard time understanding about the other, but sometimes also an understanding about ourselves. And so I hope this is an episode that you will share, listen to, dive into, share with others on the real gift of the marital embrace, the real gift of understanding urge and desire, but also temperance, prudence, and ultimately what is meant to be the gift, the ultimate gift of sacrificial love as lived out by Christ and how this can enter into our relationships and conversations that we have. That's been Devin Shad from the Fathers of St. Joseph. You can find him at fathersofstjoseph.org. That's fathersofstjoseph.org. We can also find his writings as well.